right, welcome back to From A to Arbitration. Let me start this episode off by saying, John Poskin, I apologize. Last week, I mentioned all the people that have contributed on the podcast, and I left him out. And so I'm walking my route Monday listening to it, because that's the first time I listen to it. I'll edit it, but I won't listen to the episode in its entirety until the next day. So I'm hearing what y'all are hearing, so I can critique myself, which is usually terrible. But uh, when I mention all the names, I'm like, where in the hell is John Poskin? <laughs> I forgot John Poskin. So, John, I appreciate you, brother, for the time you spent educating our people. Uh, I'm going to have him on in, a, in about a month, I think it is. He's very busy. Uh, I'm very busy. So, again, this should be a short episode, <laughs> I'm hoping. Uh, I've got uh, two removals in arbitration. I get to do branch fours uh arbitrations uh like i said i don't go anywhere else anymore kind of got blackballed because of this podcast but uh, the president and jb said nobody's going to do our our arbitrations but Corey. so i get to still do uh branch fourth and even though they've blackballed me i'm all, i'm about the city letter carrier so if they ask me to do one i'm gonna go do it that's just how it is uh, because i'm about helping the city letter carriers uh, however i can and I'm dealing with a removal uh, as an outside steward. Uh, funny enough, a, a young lady that listens to the podcast, she got removed. And uh, she asked the business agent if I could come represent her as an outside steward. Uh, it's a difficult removal. We got some good things uh, in it, but uh, so I'm dealing with that. I'm putting contentions together for that removal. Something interesting I, I did, um, I'm all about discipline that's my wheelhouse is discipline and um in this removal i get the request for appropriate action and, and i critique you know i go over everything i go over every date every word okay trying to find something that an arbitrator can hang their hat on and so i get the request for appropriate action and it says that it was requested on a certain date. And three days later, it's concurred on by electronic signature. Okay? So, uh, I don't like electronic signatures. I think that that gives way to laziness. Electronically sign it, send it back. So, I asked for the email where the requesting official sent it to the concurring official and I asked for the email where the concurring official sent it back to the requesting official because I wanted to see, you know, just about this concurrence. I'm, I'm see if we got an issue with it. So I get the email back, and it was requested on the 7th, but it wasn't emailed until the 10th, the day that it was concurred on. It was emailed at 10.50, and it was emailed back at 10.58. And so uh, I'm raising a huge procedural due process argument on that, that what kind of substantive review would it be uh, with eight minutes? And so then also the uh, notice of removal was written on the 20th of July and the issuing manager signed it the 20th of July and the, the young lady refused to sign it the 20th of July at 8.04 a.m. Okay, so it was written on 
It was issued on 720 and it was refused to sign 720 at 8.04 a.m. Okay, so I'm looking at that and that doesn't add up because it's got the concurring officials electronic signature on that. And so when I when I see that, you all of a sudden, you know, you, your mind starts working and I'm thinking that doesn't sound right. Doesn't look right. And so I asked for the OIC, the, the one uh, who issued it, I asked for his clock rings. We go back and forth, relevancy letters, all this stuff, and I'm I'm not budging. I'm continuing to say, I'll just file a 1731 on you. I need the relevance. You don't need anything. I need the, your clock ring. So finally, he sends the clock ring. All of it's redacted. Every bit of it's redacted, except one part that shows his begin tour at 8 a.m., <laughs> which is all I needed. So he comes in at 8. Now, he's going to say that he came in earlier, but I don't care. If that clock ring says that his begin tour is at 8, then I'm going to testify in arbitration. That's when he comes in. He can say that I came in at 7. There's no proof of that. The only evidentiary proof that we have is that he comes in at 8 a.m., right? And so at 8 a.m., I'm going to say he came in at 8, sat down and wrote a removal notice, and issued that thing at 8.04, now, how did that concurring official electronically sign that thing on 720? So I asked for all the emails from him to the concurring official on 720. There's not any. I said, well, let me have all the ones from the supervisor to the concurring official on 720. Not at work on 720. Well, how in the world did the concurring official get this notice on 720, it's written on 720, it's signed on 720, and this individual's name is on it on 720. How did they get that in their possession and electronically sign that on 720 if nobody emailed it to them? Y'all see what I'm talking about when I say question everything? Everything that you can see, question it. Management inherently wants to lie on everything that they do. On everything that they do. There's no exceptions. <laughs> they lie to lie. Uh, so I'm raising a huge procedural due process violation on that. I also have a little twist, and this may help y'all some, on how I do review and concurrence. Uh, I don't know that I've talked about this. I may have, but I'm not sure. But review and concurrence to me means that when you send a request for appropriate action to the concurring official, That concurring official looks at that information and they're supposed to give a substantive review. They don't have to investigate it, but they at least should do a substantive review of the information that they have at the time. So if it's a packet of 60 pages, they should at least look at it and see if there's anything that they have questions about. If they do, they can remand it back or send it back and say, hey, this right here, you know, I'm not sure about that, whatever. And so this is what I wrote down about how management failed to properly review and concur. And let me know what y'all think. I like to position myself. So I always get the notice of charges and I'll say what provisions were asked about in that. I've talked about that in the charge. What provisions were talked about in the request for action? Okay. 
And then what provisions were cited on the notice of removal? And this is what, this is my contention that I'm going to introduce at the informal aid because I want to testify in arbitration. So I always do my own contentions. All right. I know that a lot of people don't agree with that and that's fine. Y'all do it however y'all want to do it. But I always write contentions, very detailed contentions at the informal step A and I let management look at those, read over those, question those, uh, whatever they want to do. Because I want to go into arbitration and testify as to my position. I love testifying in arbitration. It's one of my favorite things to do. And so here's my contention on that. I said, lastly, I had about five or six things on concurrence that I'm attacking this concurrence. I told you one of them. Lastly, the union also contends that the notice of removal is not properly concurred on due to the following. In the investigative interview, the OIC asked the grievance specifically about ELM section 665.11 and 665.3. All right, now that was asked about in the investigative interview, 665.11 and 665.3. In the request for appropriate action, the OIC cited ELM 661.2 and 665.11. So one of those is different, one asked about. As being violated, these are the two and only two provisions cited in the RFAA, and these are the two in which MPU allegedly concurred on and supported for her decision. All right, I'll read that again. These are the two and only two provisions cited in the RFAA, and these are the two in which the MPU allegedly concurred on and supported for her decision. In the notice of removal, the OIC signed off on the fact that the grievance was in violation of, so I've got the RFAA where the OIC said, these are the two things that I'm citing against her. These are the two things that she violated in the request for action, right? In the notice of removal, he signs off on the fact that the grievance violated these, and this is what it says, ELM 662, 662.1, 665.13, 665.15, And I simply said, the union contends that if only two of the above 10 provisions were cited as being violated, how is it that eight additional provisions were found to be violated after the request and alleged concurrence had already taken place. And so that's going to be uh, one thing that I'm interested to see how the arbitrator feels about that. That if you cite two things in the RFAA, the request for appropriate action, if you cite two things that I violated, how is it that after you request and after the concurrence, eight additional provisions have been cited on the notice of removal? To me, the notice of removal has not been properly concurred on because the concurring official did not sign off on the fact that of those eight additional provisions. So I'm going to say that the, the removal notice is procedurally defective because the concurring official did not sign off on the eight additional provisions cited in the notice of charges. And that's something for y'all to start doing and something to look at. Question everything that management does. Every single thing that management does question it because they lie. They inherently lie. 
Uh, they charged this individual with falsifying doctor's notes. So I requested the hip training. And sure enough, they falsified this individual's hip training. And so I'm going to, I made a contention, you know, that what's good for the goose is good for the gander. So if you are saying that this person should be removed, then whoever falsified this hip training should be removed as well. So we're going to drag them down through the mud on this thing. We're going to have a good time of it. I'm the informal and JB is the formal. <laughs> so she, she's in good hands now. We'll see what happens. But uh, so let's see. I've got a bunch of arguments for us, So we'll see what happens. It should be a fun case for us. It should be interesting. So anyway, that's what I'm doing today. Did it yesterday. Um, I have to meet on it in informal this week. And then I got the two removals the next week. And so I've been humping it, man. I've been busy. It's been good. Um, shirts. The shirts are up for sale, okay? And it's been booming. I mean booming. Matter of fact, it's so many came in that it shut the PayPal down. And so uh, I appreciate that. I do. Like I said, 100% of that will go to MDA. I won't keep a penny of it. Matter of fact, I have nothing to do with it. <laughs> I don't see the funds. I don't see anything with that. Uh, Jeremy McCall's handling all that because he is very savvy at that kind of stuff. That guy's been amazing, and I can't thank him enough for doing that. But he's handling all of that. I don't have access to it. I don't know the numbers unless he tells me. Uh, so, but it's jumping right now. It's it's been. Uh, I thought it may do well. It's done incredibly well. So uh, you can email him at admin at uh, from arbitration.com and request things to be written on there. Some of the things y'all want written on them are kind of crazy, but <laughs> I like it. I do. And so, uh, but the shirts are going crazy. Uh, I appreciate that. I look forward to seeing y'all in Boston with some shirts on, man. That'd be pretty cool. Um, but get on from arbitration.com and that's where you can see them. You can order them uh, and you can have something put on there that you want. Uh, if you don't like what's on there, okay? Make sure you get on Reddit. Uh, that that thing is booming now. Over a 1,000 members on Reddit. Uh, I never heard of Reddit until the guy asked me if he could do a Reddit page for me. And I uh, said, sure. So Reddit is booming. He's got a survey up there about what y'all want the next topic to be that I'm going to talk about. And I think it's four or five things he's got on there. So get on Reddit. Uh, got some great conversation going on there, but also some very funny stuff uh, put up on Reddit. Uh, they uh, they test the boundaries every once in a while on me, but it's all in good fun, so uh, that's fine. Discord, like I said, Discord from the very beginning has been jumping, jumping. They're on there all night long. If you wake up at two and go use the restroom and look on Discord, they're on there talking. They just are. Uh, and some great contractual stuff going on there as well, uh, just like Reddit. They got some great stuff going on Discord. Both of those you can find on formatearbitration.com, so get on there. Uh, the Facebook page, Lindsay's taking a little break, and uh, she's been with me from the very beginning just about. So I told her, I said, hey, you take your break. I handle the Facebook page. It's not as active now because <laughs> she's not doing it. I am, so I, I get on there and put something up every once in a while. Uh, but get on there and uh, join that, and, and we'll have fun with that. Uh, <laughs> but I suck at it, and uh, she was much better, but I, I get it. 
Um, the NELC has a podcast that they've rejuvenated. Um, I think it's called You Are the Current Occupant or You Are the Current Resident. I believe it's something to that effect. Um, I listened to it the other day. Um, it's uh, Mr. Renfro's doing it, and I think he said he's going to have some special guests on there. I put, uh, I told Jeremy to put the link up on formatearbitration.com. Look, I'm about education, period. I don't care who's doing it. <laughs> I don't care who's educating. I'm about educating city letter carriers. Um, regardless of what I think, personal opinions, I don't care. Uh, if they're on there trying to educate, I'm going to give them some love. So, so I told him to put the link up on formatearbitration.com so you can go there and listen to the episode. I think he talked a little bit about collective bargaining, kind of where they're at. He talked about Medicare. I think that's the two talks, but I listened to it. Um, and I think that there are other regions going to start doing their own podcasts. I, I've asked for that and called for that for a very long time. I think every region should do a podcast. I just do. You've got to get out of this mindset. Somebody may be listening from the outside. Nobody gives a shit what you're doing, man. Quit being so high and mighty as a business agent and educate your people. Quit being so high and mighty as a business agent. People on the outside, people outside of my region may listen. Who gives a fuck, baby? Educate your people. If somebody else listens in, so be it. You're helping them too. Uh, but I think that every region should do their own podcast. Uh, I'm not going to be doing this forever. I'm not going to be doing this forever. And a lot of people don't like me. Uh, a lot of people from the NALC don't like me. And so uh, y'all can reach people that don't listen to me because I say bad words sometimes. Uh, I don't mean to, but sometimes profanity comes out and uh, people don't like that. And so, you know, they may be able to listen to y'all because they're not going to listen to me. And so that would be good. And one day I can quit doing this and get back to just minding my business on Sunday. But uh, so go listen to the podcast from NALC and, and give them some love. Look, they're taking time out of their life to educate. Okay. Regardless if you like it or not, they're taking time out of their life to educate y'all and to inform y'all. So go listen to that. You'll, you'll appreciate that. Uh, hip, I wish they would talk about that, their position on hip. I know that they sent out the email and I think they're doing a graph or something to that effect. Um, I, I'd like to know their position and what we're trying to do with it. It's not like you're sneaking up on management by telling uh, what you're going to do. Uh, grievances are going around this country. And so they obviously know that we're on to them and, or the jig is up. And so, uh, you know. I wish that they would uh, come out with some kind of position. That podcast would be a good avenue to do that. Uh, management is, uh, they're going crazy right now on us about the hip training. They are. They are, uh, a lot of people can't get into their hip training anymore. Those things have been shut down. They can't show that it's been falsified. Those things have been shut down. They're refusing to give us information. Uh, the biz, uh, B teams are sending cases back, tell them to give us the information. They're still not giving us the information. B teams are saying cease and desist. 
do the training within seven days. They're not doing the training. They're having to grieve those again. That's the reason I say kick them in the fucking face right off the jump with these grievances. Send them all to arbitration. They're not going to do right. They're not going to do right. Uh, and some are trying to hurry up and do the training now because we've got grievances. They're, they're starting to give training all over the place now, trying to catch up with that because you know, we've caught them falsifying it. Don't let them off the hook. And so a lot of stuff going on with hip right now. These scanner messages are going crazy. I wish national would do something about that, about the scanner messages. Uh, management has lost their ever loving mind talking to us on these scanners. What direction does the NLC want us to go as far as these scanner messages? There needs to be a uniform attack on these silly ass scanner messages. I think that truly, I think that the NLC should give directives to their business agents who should give directives to these branch presidents who should talk to the stewards and say, this is how we're going to grieve anything other than something safety related that's going on in my area or something that effect. These dumbass scanner messages talking about we're taking too long. Why are you going here? Why are you doing that? You need to hurry up. Here's one somebody sent me. Good afternoon, carriers. Please have your mail sorted and organized before you return to the office. UBBM, CFS, RTS, missort, missent, missequenced, outgoing, etc. Thank you. So good afternoon, carriers. Please have your mail sorted and organized before you return to the office. Uh, we've talked about heat, heat-related illnesses, heat-related issues, about them starting us later. Anything that we can do to get out of the heat, we need to be doing it. And then we have this type of message here that comes out saying, hey, and make sure you're doing all this shit out in your vehicle before you come back into the air conditioning. Make sure that you're doing all these things out in the vehicle. I don't care if we've done them before. I think that during June, July, and August, there should be exceptions to every rule. I just do. I think during June, July, and August, there are things that we can do collectively as a postal service and as a union to come together and say, here's the things that we're going to do during June, July, and August. Because those are the deadliest months. Those are the ones where we get ourselves in trouble. We can do all the training that we want to do. We can tell all these things that we need to be doing. It's deadly. It is deadly, especially for those carriers that have aged, like me. <laughs> you know, to be out there, we can do everything humanly possible and still get overcome by the heat. So what can we do to combat that even further? Everything that we do on the street that we can do in the office, we need to be doing. And that's how I feel. I've talked about casing or sticking DPS during June, July, and August. I told you that story about Gets. Um, I think that those are things that we should be doing. Any kind of sorting of the mail and the PM should be done in the office in the air conditioning. I believe that. Uh, so we need to be coming in earlier to make sure that we're not out in the heat longer. Uh, all of these things to me should be happening. Now, that's the reason I hope Congress gets involved. Now, if y'all haven't messaged your congressman or congresswoman, message them and tell them our plight. I wish every letter carrier in the country would message their congressman or congresswoman and, and just rip into them about our plight and to help us out because Congress is now involved. And I think that that would go a long way to get us at the table. 
I would love to have people in there testifying before Congress about everything that's going on to us, everything that the service is doing to us, things that can help us, things that can alleviate all of these issues we have in the heat during June, July, and August. Uh, there are things that we can do that we need to be doing to help the city letter carrier. And so these scanner messages just pissed me off. It was uh, one of my very first episodes, remember, was about uh, grieving unsafe scanner messages. Long before all this shit started, I did that one all those months ago about grieving unsafe scanner messages. It's still just as true today. It's still just as true today. A lot of, a lot of people are getting involved, back involved with the union. They're, they're messaging me uh, about they're getting their fight back. They're getting that passion back. They're educating their branches. Uh, they're making their branches listen to the podcast <laughs> to get that fight back in their branch, to get members involved, to get stewards involved. Uh, a lot of people are doing that. Uh, I'm supposed to give a shout out to Miss Angela Perkins. Miss Angela Perkins is one of those who's getting involved in this fight. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, got a great branch there. Somebody reached out from there. <laughs> Asked me to give her a shout out. So Angela Perkins, I appreciate you. Everything that you're doing uh, and everything that you're going to do. And uh, we need more people like that that are getting back into this fight. Too many places, too many places the branch president, stewards have lost their desire and they refuse to fight. I've talked about that so many times. It's, it's, it's become ridiculous. But uh, we need to fight. And we need people in position to fight. And if you don't have that in your area, you need to vote those people out and make sure that you get somebody in there that is competent and a fighter, okay? Uh, but things are changing around this country. Things are changing. Uh, temperaments and attitudes are changing as far as the city letter care and defending the city letter care. There is a movement going on. And I can promise you that there is a movement going on of fighters and warriors taking up that flag and getting into this fight and and kind of moving the, that other genre out, moving that other era out of tired, old, don't want to fight. Uh, and and it's happening as we speak, just like I talk about with the podcast the region's coming out with a podcast. National starting theirs again. Uh, it's it's happening. The union is becoming stronger, and that's what we need. The union is becoming stronger, and that is exactly what we need. Next week, I'm going to spend the entire episode on discipline. I've gotten so many things now about discipline, people wanting help. Next week, I'm going to spend the entire episode on discipline. Uh, the person from Reddit told me that discipline was one of the main things that people wanted addressed, how to beat discipline. So I'll do that. Next week, I'm going to have a, a lot of discipline. So if you have any discipline you want me to talk about, I, I omit names and things. So if you have any discipline you want me to talk about, I'll talk about that next week, how we're going to beat it just from the charge. Don't send me the information. Just from the charge, what do I see? And how are we going to look at the charge and beat that discipline, okay? So that'll be next week. And I think JB might be in the next week talking about sick leave dependent care. Uh, his son, they're down in Mississippi right now playing baseball still. I think they're doing well. So 
Uh, but that'll be next week, okay? Uh, another thing, and I hate this, but my um, my Titan email has sent about 100 emails to spam. And so I found it the other day. I'm trying to catch up on those as much as I can. So if you've not gotten a response from me, I'm not ignoring you. I'm just now seeing it. And I'm talking about from back in May because uh, I don't ever look through that. I just answer them and then I get off of there. Uh, there's over 100 in there from back in May. Uh, I'm going to get to every single one of them. You. I hope it's not untimely. <laughs> Uh, but you've asked a lot of questions, and I try to answer each and every one of y'all's questions. I do. And I send a lot of y'all to JB because, like I said, I don't have templates. So if you message me about templates, I make my own, uh, just like this removal. I just sit there and make my own. I do it a little different. I might put those up one day and show you what I'm talking about uh, because I do my templates a little different because I want it to be very easy for the arbitrator when I go into arbitration very easy for me, very easy for the advocate, and very easy for the arbitrator. And so that's how I do my templates, and I might put those up one day for you. They're very basic kindergarten-type templates. Uh, but I love the way that I do things. Uh, I think it's easier. It's much easier for me in arbitration to do it like that. So I may put those up for you. But that's next week. Let me get to the topic that I'm going to talk about, and then I'm going to get off of here because, like I said, I am slammed with these uh, removals and, and I hate losing. Uh, I can tell you this in every arbitration I've ever done, I have never lost a hearing. And I may not have won the decision, but I have never lost a hearing. That's because I'm always prepared more than the person I'm going against. I have never been out prepared and I will never be out prepared uh, ever. No advocate will ever work harder than me in arbitration. And I can guarantee you that. And so I'm into these arbitrations full-time, uh, two removals, like I said. So I'm giving a little bit extra. And then I'm um, representing this carrier. So I've been humping it here these last few days. Today I've been going steady. Um, and so took a little break to do this episode. And then I'm going to get right back into it. But um, <clears throat> what I'm going to talk about today is something that I've been seeing a lot lately. I've kind of veered off. I was going to do all that discipline today, but uh, some people are going to get themselves in trouble. Some people are going to get themselves in trouble with the things that they're putting on social media and the things that they're talking about. And I'm going to discuss it today. I've got four sites I'm going to read to you. Uh, so it's a lot of reading, but I want to read these four sites to you and tell you about the trouble you're going to get yourself into. All right. Uh, somebody came onto my Reddit page the other day. And they put on there, uh, I didn't see it. The person who runs my Reddit page messaged me and sent me a screenshot of it. And I said, go take that shit down right now. Go take that shit down right now. And it was somebody putting on there, due to our contract situation, that someday in August, we were all going to take three days off sick leave. Never, ever, ever do some stupid shit like that on social media. Don't ever talk about shit like that on the workroom floor. Don't ever make phone calls to people about doing shit like that. Don't ever, ever, ever talk about work stoppage or strike during the situation that we're in with right now. We are not UPS. And congratulations to UPS on your contract. I know a lot of people are talking about not voting for it. I see that all the time. Uh, but close to 50 bucks an hour, good for y'all. 
I hope you get it. I hope you get everything that you asked for. I'm all about labor. I wish every company in the country was had a union. I do. I really do. Every I wish McDonald's, uh, every company you can think of, I wish it was unionized. And I think that that would help us greatly across the country to have the uh, every company had a labor force, uh, a unionized labor force. And so I feel that strongly about union. I do. Uh, but congratulations to UPS. But we are not UPS, okay? We are not UPS. Do not get on social media talking about a work stoppage or a strike. Don't do it. I'm telling you. Don't call each other talking about a work stoppage or a strike. Don't have designated days that you're going to call in sick. Don't do it. I'm going to read something to you. I'm going to read these four sites. I'm going to be done with it. But I've been seeing it a lot lately on social media, and I just shake my head. I'm thinking, please, God, don't do that. Don't talk about that shit on social media. Uh, that is evidence. Whether you believe it or not, that is evidence for management's position, okay? I'm going to read this to you. It's Article 18, all right? Article 18, and it's very brief. Why? Because we don't need to talk about it. Uh, it's called No Strike, Article 18. 18.1, 1, Section 1, Statement of Principle. The union, in behalf of its members, agrees that it will not call or sanction a strike or slowdown. Let me read that again. The union, in behalf of its members, which is us, agrees that it will not call or sanction a strike or slowdown. 18.2. Union actions. The union or its local unions, whether called branches or by other names, will take reasonable action to avoid such activity and where such activity occurs immediately inform striking employees they are in violation of this agreement and order said employees back to work. It didn't say management. It didn't say management is to order us back to work. It says the union or its local unions, whether called branches or by other names, will take reasonable action to avoid such activity. And where such activity occurs, immediately inform striking employees they are in violation of this agreement and order said employees back to work. So the union is supposed to order the carriers back to work. It is not management's responsibility in accordance with Article 18. 18.3, union liability. It is agreed that the union or its local unions, whether called branches or by other names, which comply with the requirements of this article, shall not be liable for the unauthorized action of their members or other postal employees. 18.4. Section 4. Legal Impact. <clears throat> the parties agree that the provisions of this article shall not be used in any way to defeat any current or future legal action involving the constitutionality of existing or future legislation prohibiting federal employees from engaging in strike actions. The parties further agree that the obligations undertaken in this article are in no way contingent upon the final determination of such constitutional issues. The preceding article, Article 18, shall apply to city care assistant employees. All right? Prohibition on strikes. Listen to me. Prohibition on strikes. Federal law has long prohibited strikes by postal 
and most other federal employees and provided criminal penalties for violations. The Postal Reorganization Act of 1970 continued to apply the strike prohibitions of Title V, Section 7511 of the U.S. Code, 5 U.S.C. at 7511, to postal employees as well as the federal criminal penalties for violations contained in 18 U.S.C. 1918. So those are criminal statutes that they will raise against you for striking or calling for a slowdown. Okay, that's how serious that is when y'all get on social media and start talking about we're going to have three days of calling in sick to, to protest. We're going to strike. We're going to picket. We're going to do whatever. Do not get on social media and talk about that shit. Do not come on any of my sites and do that shit. I will delete you and block you from being on my sites. I will not get engaged in any of that talk. Okay? We have collective bargaining that handles all of our situations. Back in the steelworkers, when they talked about striking, what they would do is, if somebody got terminated, fired, they would all go on strike to protest. All of them would go on strike to protest somebody getting fired. Until they got collective bargaining, and that's how they handled their dispute. When they got collective bargaining, they could no longer strike because they had the grievance procedure then. It went to arbitration then. You got all these steel workers uh, arbitrations that we still use today. Some of the best decisions that we use are from the steel workers trilogy. And so uh, that kept them from striking is when uh, they got collective bargaining. We got collective bargaining in 1970. So as part of that, there's no layoff clause, but also we cannot strike or call for a slowdown. And so when you do that, you're setting yourself up to be terminated. Okay? Even if it's on social media, even if you're playing, even if you're joking, you're setting yourself up to be terminated. All right? I'm going to read these four sites to you, and then I'm going to be done. Because it's that serious. And a lot more people are chattering about it on social media. I see it a lot about we just need to strike. We need to be like UPS. We can't be like UPS. <laughs> they can strike. We can't. We got collective bargaining. And we got Article 18 that says we can't. So I'm going to read these sites to you. I'm going to be done. Sorry about uh, how kind of rough this one is. But man, I've been humping it all day on this removal for this young lady. Uh, because it's personal. Because I've been going at it with the head of labor. They're involved with it. And um, so it's it's personal to me. And so I've been spending a majority of my time in this removal, just dissecting this thing and requesting. I've been requesting. I bet I've put in seven requests for all the information that I've been, you know, all the, the games that we're playing as far as trying to figure out what they're doing and how they're doing it. And you can do that through documentation. And so you try to figure these things out. That's the reason I love discipline. I know that sounds terrible, but I love it because it's a game. And you're putting pieces of the puzzle. Things don't sound right. Let's look at it. Let's request this over here. All right, now let's request this. Let's put this piece. And it's kind of falling in line for me like that. So I like where we're going. But anyway, I've been really busy with that. So sorry about how hastily this, is, this one's been done today. This is regular arbitration. Barry Simon. 
dated October 6, 2011. And I'm going to read the decision off for them to you and then talk a little bit afterwards and then I'll be done. The service had just caused to issue grievant a notice of removal for engaging in a concerted job action when she was among 15 employees who called in sick. The grievance is denied. So they got fired for calling in sick, orchestrating a call in. Okay. I'm just going to read the whole thing. It's for them, but I'm going to read it. Background. At all times relevant to this dispute, grievant was employed as a full-time city letter carrier at this installation on November 8, 2010. Grievant was one of 15 letter carriers assigned to this station who called in sick. It is undisputed that this number of absences had an adverse effect on the operations of the office. Employees were sent from other post offices to cover the work at, uh, at East St. Louis, thereby affecting service at those offices as well. According to the postmaster, employees were required to work for 12 hours and only first-class mail was delivered. On May 2, 2011, Greenwood was issued a notice of removal for conduct unbecoming of a postal employee. The notice of removal read in pertinent part as follows. On Monday, November 8, 2010, Acting Human Resources Manager Pamela Mian Smith contacted the United States Postal Service Office of Inspector General regarding an allegation that there may have been a coordinated effort to slow down service at the East St. Louis Post Office, whereby multiple employees did call in sick and may have been encouraged to do so. Me and Smith advised there may have been a text message sent out to the carriers. Listen to this now, folks, when you're talking about, uh, I've just texted, I'm calling on the phone, social media. Me and Smith advised there may have been a text message sent out to the carriers. On November 9th of 2010, an investigation into the allegation ensued. Manager of Post Office Operations Gene Kloss, East St. Louis Postmaster Edna Hall, and Pamela Meehan Smith advised the reporting agent that four employees' cars had been stolen from the East St. Louis Post Office employee parking lot over the last three weeks and that the fourth car was stolen on Saturday, November 6th. The investigation disclosed multiple employees assigned to the East St. Louis Post Office were contacted by telephone or text message prior to Monday, November 8, 2010, to advise them that multiple employees were calling in sick to protest the car thefts. Phone records and employee mission disclosed that approximately 13 of the 15 employees who called in sick had phone communication with other employees before November 8, 2010. You were interviewed on November 15, 2010 by Special Agents Greg Burwell and Christina Ferrero. During the interview, you stated you called in sick on November 8th, but it was due to actually being sick. You stated you started not feeling well with flu-like symptoms on Friday, November 5th, but still worked. You stated you worked on Saturday sick, but on Monday, your body could not take it anymore and you called in to take the day off. You stated you called your doctor on Monday, November 8th, but he was out of town, so the earliest you could get it in was November 29th of 2010. You denied having any knowledge of the blue flu and claimed you only found out about people calling in Tuesday when you returned from your sick leave. When asked if you were con contacted in any way about the sick leave plan for Monday, you stated you were not contacted by anyone about the sick leave. You recalled a conversation on Friday about parking at a different location. You stated that was it. Despite that, when Special Agent Robert Redmond interviewed part-time flexible letter carrier 
She stated you called her on Monday morning at about 6.15 and asked her if she was going into work. Lee explained you asked her if she had talked to Tracy. Lee also stated Foster called her about 6 a.m. on Monday and told her Tracy called her and said they were not going to work. Lee stated she first knew about the sick leave plan on Monday morning when Foster called. She stated then you called her. In addition, a review and analysis of phone records disclosed you received and made approximately 72 phone calls or text messages to and from Tracy Dupree from Saturday, November 6th through November 10th, 2010. During a predisciplinary interview, you stated you were falsely accused on November 8th, 2010. You stated you had been going to the doctor for several months due to flu symptoms. You stated you called in on Monday, November 8th due to the same symptoms. You stated you had been feeling ill the weekend prior to calling in on Monday, November 8th. You stated you called in around 6 or 6.15 a.m. during that morning. You stated you spoke to three people that morning, Ed Hawkins, and let him know that you are not working that day because your carpool and you wanted to let him know that you would not be there. You stated you did speak to Hawkins around 6 and he stated he was not going in due to having a hangover from the night before. You admitted you talked to Amy and that you asked her if she heard about the car thefts on Saturday and that Amy replied yes. You said the conversation was about car thefts on Saturday. You stated you asked Miss Lee if she had talked to Mr. Dupree, Mr. Dupree and she advised she had not talked to her. You talked about what happened on the parking lot at East St. Louis Post Office that Saturday. You stated a group of employees were discussing the car thief should have been theft. Car thief and was trying to come up with a solution, maybe to park across the street. And Miss Mason advised that it would look like a strike, and we could not do it. You stated that during the conversation, you told Dupree that you called in and would call her back, and which you did within 15 minutes. You stated you later talked to Dupree, maybe an hour later, and asked her if she was at work. You stated Dupree replied, "No, FMLA." You stated you talked to Jamil Jackson later that morning, and that is when he informed you that the text message was going around in the office. Your conduct unbecoming of a postal employee is a violation of your duties as responsibilities as a postal employee, as well as Section 6612, 66511, 66513, 66515, 66516, and 66541 of the Employee and Labor Relations Manual. It is also a violation of the Gateway's District Attendance and Tiredness Policy, which requires employees to be regular in attendance and avoid unscheduled absences. The union filed a timely grievance protesting the issuance of the notice of removal. The grievance sought recession of the notice of removal. The grievance was denied by the Postal Service and progressed through the grievance procedure in accordance with the provisions of the national agreement. The parties being unable to reach resolution, the matter was submitted to arbitration before the undersigned arbitrator at the hearing. The party stipulated that there were some employees who were interviewed by the Office of Inspector General who had not received any text messages or phone calls regarding blue flu. Position of the Postal Service The service contends a number of employees at the East St. Louis Post Office engaged in a job action on November 8, 2010 when the employees called in sick. It says this action was prompted by the theft of several employees' cars from the employee parking lot. According to the service, there were telephone calls and text messages to and from the employees organizing a sick out to protest what they perceived as management's inadequate response to the thefts. The service says Grievant called in on the morning of November 8, 2010 and requested eight hours of sick leave. 
Because she did not provide medical documentation to substantiate her absence, the service has her request was subsequently disapproved. Following a thorough investigation, the service contends it was established that Grievant had engaged in the concerted job action. It says it then issued her notice of removal. The service points to inconsistencies in the statements Grievant made to the OIG and during her predisciplinary investigation. It additionally notes that her statements were contradicted by the evidence. It says interviews with other employees regarding their conversations with the Grievant also suggest that she had discussed the job action before she decided to call in sick. Finally, the service rejects the medical documentation offered by Grievant, knowing that she did not see her doctor until December 2nd. It does not accept that the doctor would have been able to determine that Grievant actually was ill almost one month earlier. It suggests the doctor merely recorded the Grievant told him. The service argues it had sufficient evidence to prove its charge against Grievant because her actions constituted participation in an illegal work stoppage. The service contends her removal is warranted. Concluding that it had just caused to issue her own notice of removal, the service asked that the agreement be denied in its entirety. In support of its position, the service cites the following awards. There's about eight or nine arbitration awards. Position of the union. The union denies that the service has met its burden of proof and established that the agreement was guilty of conduct on becoming a postal employee. It submits that the statements of carriers Robinson, Fraser, and Tenholder were inconsistent and that the service case is based entirely upon hearsay. The union argues that the issuance of the notice removal was untimely. It notes that the date of incident was November 8th and that some employees were interviewed as late as February 24th. Grievance notice of removal, says the union, was dated May 2nd of 2011. It submits that the memories of events such as text messages or voicemails fade with the passage of time. Finally, the union says management failed to investigate the matter thoroughly, even though the OIG reported is several hundred pages. It says Grievant consistently asserted that she called in sick because she was sick, yet no one in management believed her. It notes that there were other employees who had been interviewed by the OIG who were unaware of a work stoppage, but Grievance's assertion that she knew nothing about it was disregarded. The union concludes the service did not have just cause to issue Grievance the notice of removal. It asks, therefore, that the Grievance be sustained, that the notice of removal be rescinded, and the Grievance be made whole for wages and benefits lost. And here's the arbitrator's discussion. Here's the carrier's livelihood in his hands, okay, about a work stoppage. The evidence before this arbitrator establishes that there was a concerted job action at the East St. Louis Post Office on November 8, 2010. Fifteen letter carriers called in sick that day. The OIG investigators obtained a copy of a text message that was sent to a number of carriers in the office. It stated, Renee and Tracy wanting everyone to call in sick tomorrow to protest car thefts, so for ten people say yes. This message presumably refers to Renee Mason, the president of the East St. Louis branch local of the NLC, and Tracy Dupree. There is no evidence either these women sent the text message. The message, as it appeared on the cell phone of letter carrier Willie Fraser, indicated it was sent by Jay Frawley at 5.05 p.m. on November 2nd, 7th, 2010, although he may not have been the original source of the message. Letter carrier Kevin Smith told the OIG investigator that he had received the text message on Sunday night from John Frawley and forwarded it to Frazier and Ricky Tenholder, who also showed the message to the investigator. 
According to Dupree's statement to the OIG, she and Mason were sitting together at a union-sponsored bolathon on Sunday, November 2, 2010, when she suggested to Mason that the employees park outside the parking lot on Monday and wait for management to come out. Dupree reported that Mason replied, No, y'all can't do that because that would be the form of a strike. According to Dupree, she and Mason were talking alone at a table in the bowling alley from 4 to 5 p.m. The record also reflects that the OIG investigators interviewed letter carrier John Frawley, who told them that she, he received the text message from an unknown source on Sunday and forwarded it to Fraser and possibly Smith. He also stated that Mason had called him on Sunday and advised against parking on the street, but that everyone should call in sick instead. He told the investigators that he believed he heard bowling pins in the background during his call. On Monday morning, Frawley received a call from a Fox 2 news reporter regarding the car thefts at the post office. Frawley told the investigators that he told a reporter about employees calling in sick using the term blue flu. Although there was a news story that night and the following morning about the stolen vehicles, there was no mention of the sick calls. These admissions by other employees who were involved in the action, as well as the evidence of the text messages, established that this was a concerted activity. If this were a case where agreement was simply charged with falsifying a sick leave request, the burden of proof such as falsification as it does in discipline cases would rest with a service. Cases involving concerted job actions, though, present a different situation. When it is established, as it is here, that a group of employees collectively decided to call in sick for the purpose of disrupting postal operations, the service's burden of proof may be satisfied by showing that the grievant had prior knowledge of the job action and that she called in sick. Y'all hear that? People putting things on Facebook, people putting things in text message. Did y'all hear that? I'm going to read it again. When it is established, as it is here, that a group of employees collectively decided to call in sick for the purpose of disrupting postal operations, the service's burden of proof may be satisfied by showing that the grievant had prior knowledge of the job action and that she called in sick. Do not, do not put on social media anything about a work stoppage or a strike. I'm telling you, it's evidence. It's evidence and it will be used against you. If somebody says, hey, we're going to do a work stoppage and there's 25 people underneath there said, yeah, let's do it. All of y'all are culpable. All of y'all are liable. Don't do it. Don't put it up. This will be sufficient to establish a rebuttable presumption that grievant participated in the job action. The union then has the burden of showing that she was incapacitated and unable to work and that she was simply the victim of bad timing. In effect, this would be an affirmative defense. There is no question that Grievant called in sick the same day as the job action. The record also reflects that she was aware prior to the date in question that employees were being encouraged to call in sick. The OIG inspectors compiled a log of phone calls made by or to Tracy Dupree during the period from November 6th through November 10th. According to those records, she made numerous calls to various employees, including Grievant. At least one employee told the investigators that she that these calls were to enlist support for the job action. The record shows that Dupree made several calls to Grievant on November 7th, including one at 9.54 p.m. 
Because of the short duration of those calls, it is likely that the two women did not converse, but it is also likely that Dupree left voicemail messages for Grievant. The following morning, Grievant called Dupree at 5.57 a.m., and they spoke for more than eight minutes. Grievant then called in sick to the Postal Service's automated system at 6.10 a.m. At 6.18 a.m., Grievant called Dupree and had an eight-minute conversation. She called Dupree again at 7.38 a.m., and they spoke for more than 39 minutes. Another call to Dupree of more than 11 minutes was made by Grievant at 8.25 a.m. Several other calls were made throughout the day. Grievant offered no logical explanation for why she would need to call Dupree before calling in sick. The arbitrator is satisfied that Grievant knew of the job action prior to calling in. Grievant testified that she had been ill all weekend and was suffering from sinusitis and the flu on Monday, November 8th. She stated that she called her doctor's office when it opened Monday morning, but was unable to get an appointment because the doctor was going to be leaving for vacation at the end of the week. She says that she was told that they would call her if the doctor had an opening, but no call came. Instead, Grievance says she made an appointment for November 28th, the earliest she could be seen. That appointment subsequently rescheduled for December 2nd. Grievant went to the doctor on November 2nd, obtained a note from him indicating that she had influenza syndrome with dehydration on 11-8-10 and that she was able to return to work on 11-9-10. The arbitrator questions how the doctor was able to make any sort of a diagnosis of a condition Grievant allegedly had almost one month earlier without her presenting with any symptom symptomology. There is no indication in this note that she was suffering from this condition when he, when he saw her. Obviously, he had to rely solely upon what she told him. In this sense, the doctor's note is not reliable evidence of Grievant being ill on November 8th. The arbitrator has to ask why she would have gone to the doctor on December 2nd for a condition she no longer had. It certainly is not for treatment, as there is no evidence the doctor offered any. The only conclusion that her sole reason for seeing the doctor at the time was to obtain documentation to substantiate her claim she was ill a month earlier. The arbitrator is also faced with questions regarding grievance for credibility. As notated above, the grievance testified she phoned the doctor's office in the morning on November 8th and was told the doctor could not see her until November 29th. OIG Special Agent Kevin Klondinger, however, testified that he spoke to the doctor's office and was told grievance had not called on November 8th. According to Klondinger, they had a record of her calling for an appointment at 10 a.m. on November 9th. They're going to catch y'all's ass, I'm telling you. They also told him that Dr. Ross has seen patients on the afternoon of November 8th and 9th. Further, they stated that Grievant could have come into the office and if the doctor was not available, they, the nurse, they had a nurse triage. Although Grievant asserted she called the doctor on money from her phone, home phone, no record was produced to support this contention. Based upon the evidence before him, the arbitrator finds the grievance did not contact the doctor's office until she came back to work on Tuesday and is informed that she would need to provide medical documentation to support her absence the day before. The union, therefore, has not met its burden of proving the grievance was absent from work on November 8, 2010 because of illness. The presumption that her absence was part of the concerted job action that day must stand. Engaging in a strike against the Postal Service is a violation of federal law and the Employee and Labor Relations Manual. In case number there, Arbitrator Thomas Roberts wrote, The precipitous departure from work of Bender and his colleagues constituted a concerted attempt 
to interrupt mail processing operations as a form of protest over perceived grievances arising out of the status of contract negotiations. Any such concerted slowdown, withdrawal of service, or other interruption of operations by employees constitutes a strike within the meaning of the applicable statutes. Beyond that, it is well established in arbitral precedent that employees engaging in a strike against the Postal Service are guilty of conduct justifying discharge. Similarly, in the case there, arbitrator Carol Wittenberg held, Furthermore, participation in a strike has been found to constitute just cause for discharge under the no-strike provision of the National Agreement and the terms of the appointment affidavit. The Postal Service regards the violation of the no-strike provision of such significance as to warrant discharge. The arbitrator cannot find that the service's decision to discharge in this case, given the particular circumstances herein, was either improper or unjust. The grievance engaged in self-help in order to protest a job assignment when their proper response was to grieve and work. When the grievance jointly clocked out and left the building without permission in protest against a job assignment, they gave the service calls to terminate their employment. For these reasons, the discharges must stand. This arbitrator endorses the opinions quoted above. Grievance conduct was a serious violation of her conditions of employment, to which she agreed when she was first hired by the Postal Service. Her removal was warranted by her conduct. The issuance of the notice of removal was for just cause. In reaching this conclusion, the arbitrator rejects the union contention that the imposition of discipline was untimely. The case file had an extensive record. Both the OIG and management had to interview numerous employees, some several times, to ensure that it ascribed conduct to the proper individuals. Statements made by employees had to be compared with statements made by other employees. Phone records had to be obtained, analyzed, and reviewed. The DRT package contained 275 pages. The ORG report was even thicker. During this period of investigation, the Postal Service had to take care to treat each employee as an individual and give consideration to their individual explanations. The union has not demonstrated that grievance was harmed in any way by the length of time it took to issue the notice of removal in her case. The grievance is denied. So there's an individual that had a call out, the blue flu, right? Because the cars are being stolen. And 15 carriers were involved in it and terminated just like that. For something they thought they was going to do, probably gain some status. We called out because of the blue flu to protest Lost a job. Lost their job. I've got three more. I'm going to read all of them because it's that important. Okay? All right. This one's by Thomas Erbs. All right? Thomas Erbs. The grievance is denied. Sufficient credible evidence has shown that the grievance was actually involved in a conduct unbecoming to a post employee who had agreed by contract not to strike or engage in a slowdown. The grievance has been employed by the Postal Service since 1994. Now, this decision was 2011, okay? So, grievance has been employed since 1994. This is 2011, so we got some tenure here. Prior to his employment, he was a member of the Armed Forces for 11 years. So, we got a veteran. We got a veteran 11 years and some tenure, all right? The record reflects that East St. Louis Post Office personnel had been experiencing automobile thefts from the adjacent parking lot. The employees expressed concern as to the apparent lack of action by management to alleviate the situation. 
The postmaster testified that she placed a requisition for a security fencing and surveillance cameras and had stand-up talks. She pointed out that she and the supervisor also parked in the same lot. Management alleged that one or more employees came up with a plan to have the employees call in sick on Monday, November 8, 2010. When a number of employees did call in sick, a lengthy Office of Inspector General investigation began. The investigative memorandum, IM, was introduced at the hearing. It is thicker than the dispute resolution team record and contains 87 separate multi-page exhibits. The DRT record contains over 280 pages. The Postal Service evidence closely tracked the notice of charges proposed removal, which was issued on the, to the grievance on May 2, 2011. Portions thereof are as follows. Conduct unbecoming of a postal employee. As a postal employee, you're expected to be loyal to the United States government and uphold the policies and regulations of the Postal Service. Part of those regulations require you to conduct yourself during and outside of work hours in a manner that reflects favorably upon the Postal Service. You too are expected to be honest, reliable, trustworthy, courteous, and of good character and reputation. On Monday, November 8, 2010, Acting Human Resources Manager Pamela Meehan Smith contacted the United States Postal Service Office of Inspector General regarding an allegation that there may have been a coordinated effort to slow down service at the East St. Louis Post Office, whereby multiple employees called in sick and may have been encouraged to do so. Meehan Smith advised, there may have been a text message sent out to the carriers. On November 9, 2010, an investigation in the allegation ensued. Manager of Post Office Operations Jean Claus, East St. Louis Postmaster Edna Hall, and Pamela Meehan Smith advised the reporting agent that four employees' cars had been stolen from the East St. Louis Post Office employee parking lot over the last three weeks and that the fourth car was stolen on Saturday, November 6th. The investigation disclosed multiple employees assigned to the East St. Louis Post Office were contacted by telephone or text message prior to Monday, November 8th, to advise them that multiple employees were calling in sick to protest the car thefts. Phone records and employee admissions disclosed that approximately 13 of the 15 employees who called in sick had phone communication with other employees before November 8, 2010. You were one of the employees who called in sick on November 8, 2010. You were interviewed on November 17th by Special Agents Kevin Kloninger and Robert Redmond. During the interview, you stated you were off on the weekend of November 6th and that you called in for sick leave on November 8th at 6.20 a.m. You advised you received a voicemail from Tracy Dupree and another carrier on Sunday, November 7th, night between 6 p.m. and 8 p.m. You stated Dupree said in the voicemail they're going to call in sick due to nothing being done about the vehicles being stolen. You stated the voicemail from Dupree said something like, I don't know if you heard that there's going to be a sick call on Monday. You stated you understood the voicemail to mean they were organizing a calling in thing. You stated you did not call Dupree back and you did not save the voicemail. You stated you deleted it right away. You stated you did not think the car theft thing was handled right. You explained there was no stand-up talk until the third car was stolen. You recall the postmaster advised that she had made a request to help with vehicle safety. <clears throat> you stated on Monday night you received a text message from John Frawley, another carrier, you said the text message says something about Renee and Tracy were organizing a call-in thing. You stated you forwarded the message you received from Frawley to Willie Frazier and Rick Tenholder. You stated you talked to Tenholder telephonically on Sunday night and that you both said you were coming into work on Monday. 
You stay to receive the text message from Father, the vo- phone voicemail from Dupree, and the telephone call from Tenholder close to the same time. You then stayed you were sick as a dog on Monday, November 8th, and if you did not feel good, you did not come to work. You explained you attended a fundraiser for your son's baseball team on Saturday night and in the sunny morning. You stated you did, not, you did shots and was still feeling sick on Monday. You stated you had about eight hours of sick leave left. You stated you called in sick on Monday morning about 6.15 a.m. and that you called in sick because you did not feel good. You stated you did not call in sick based on the text message or voicemail you received. You admitted you talked to Renee Mason about the sick call after Monday. You stated she told you you would have to get a doctor's statement for the sick day. You explained that Mason is right to next to you on the workroom floor and that she told you you can have union representation with you during the interview. You stated you are not real strong for the union and that Renee's name was in the text message. You stated you never forwarded or sent a text message to Dupree or Mason and that Fraser responded back to you through a text message on Monday indicated he was content coming to work. You further stated you may have also forwarded the text message you received from Frawley to Kenny McCoy, another carrier. You stated you assumed Frawley started the text message, but you did not know how you got the information from them. You stated the text message stated something like Renee and Tracy are organizing a sick call thing to call in Monday. You indicated you were not sure of the exact number of people you were told were going to call in sick, but thought it was 15 or 20. You said you could not remember if you heard it from Dupree's voicemail or text message you got from Frawley. You also stated you thought Tenholder talked to Dupree. You stated you were home on Monday, November 8, 2010, and that you talked to Tenholder telephonically. You also stated Fraser sent a text message to you advising he was going in. In addition, you provided a sworn written statement. You're also interviewed on Monday on November 23rd by the reporting agent. At the time you informed the agent you had a spreadsheet of your phone call activity from Sunday. November 7th, you explained the voicemail from Tracy Dupree probably would have been at 5.43 p.m. You stated you called Rick Tenholder at 5.47 p.m. During a predisciplinary interview, when you given an opportunity to explain why you did not report to work on November 8th, you stated you were sick on November 8th. You stated that on November 8th and 7th, your son had a fundraiser and that your kids did not attend. You were drinking. You stated you're not a drinker but other parents wanted to do shots, so you participated with it. You stated you should not have had the drinks, and it took you two days to recover, November 7th and 8th, but you were still drinking on the 7th. You stated you had a designated driver on Sunday the 7th because you were inebriated. You stated on Sunday, November 7th, you were just getting out of bed around 4 p.m. You stated your friend stayed with you because you Sunday and Monday due to being sick. You stated you felt better on November 8th, so you came to work. You stated you didn't get a text message from Frawley around 5.30 p.m. on Sunday, November 7th, saying Tracy and Renee wanted everyone to call in on Monday. You stated that it had no bearing on whether you were going to come into work on Monday due to the fact that you were sick. You stated you talked to Tenholder for about five minutes on the telephone after receiving the text message from Frawley, and Tenholder told you he was going to go into work, and I advised Tenholder that I would go in if it felt better. You stated you always forwarded text messages from Frawley to Rick, Frazier, and McCoy because you never know what you're getting with Frawley text. You stated some of Frawley's text screams at you. They're not just ordinary text. In addition, the following is an element of your past record. 
Your conduct unbecoming of the postal employee is a violation of your duties, and it has the same ELM language. And here's the arbitrary. The record indicates that September 30th, seven-day suspension contains a note that it was not issued. Management indicates the removal was not based on progressive discipline. Management witnesses indicated in an interview with agreement and the other employees, they did not feel they were telling the truth when they said they were all sick. The grievance advised management he had partied late on Saturday night and not being a drinker, he was still sick on Sunday and the sickness continued into Monday. The grievance test that when he called the automatic reporting system, he did not receive any indication that he had to provide medical documentation. The grievance testified that his girlfriend stayed with him on Monday. Management witnesses testified that to the chaos that occurred on the Monday, the busiest day of the week at the post office, 15 carriers called in sick. Management scrambled to have the mail delivered. All available carriers were maxed out on overtime, and several TEs were brought in from distant stations. Trying to familiarize the new carriers of the delivery area took much of the day. Management was only able to send out the first-class mail. No Advil mail was delivered. Some of the first-class mail was brought back because the temporary carriers were unable to find the addresses. Management acknowledged that overtime that was required and the chaos that occurred was not the sole responsibility of the grievance. The grievance reported for work on November 9th and turned into 3971. This was disapproved, and he was advised that he had to secure medical documentation. Supervisor Muller testified that the grievance argued with her, stating that he did not have to bring in medical documentation, but he had not been out for three days, nor was he on restricted sick leave. Muller testified that the grievance, while, while not on restricted sick leave, was on the deem list. The automatic reporting system was supposed to have given him notification that documentation was going to be required. The grievance denied that the system made any comment to him about securing documentation. In addition to some of the mail being brought back and all the Advil mail being curtailed, there were calls about misdelivery and missing packages. There are still outstanding claims in regard to some missing packages. Later Monday afternoon, a TV channel reporter appeared at the post office. The reporter had previously been at another employee's residence where some mention was made about the blue flu that was taking place. When the reporter attempted to question the postmaster about the blue flu, the postal inspector who was present told the reporter those questions would not be answered. OIG agent Kleininger testified to the investigation. There were 56 interviews of over 40 individuals. The grievance first interview took place on November 17, 2010. It took a considerable period of time for the OIG to secure, by way of subpoena, the telephone records of the various employees who were absent on that day. Y'all hear me? How serious they took that? It took a considerable period of time for the OIG to secure, by way of subpoena, the telephone records of the various employees who were absent on that day. One telephone carrier did not respond for several months after the subpoena was issued. After all subpoena documents were received from the telephone carrier, the IM was then compiled and issued on March 17th. Thereafter, there were investigative interviews on the employees. The grievance was then issued the proposed removal. The grievance testified that on Sunday he had one telephone conversation with employee Tenholder. He did receive a voice message from employee Dupree, which he did not keep, and he did receive and then forwarded two text messages to other employees. The grievance stated that during the predisciplinary interview, no one from management indicated to him nor the union why he was being considered for discipline. They only would say that it was something about abusing sick leave. 
The record reflects that the grievance phone was utilized for numerous texts and some telephone messages from Sunday afternoon into evening. There are also numerous text messages and calls commencing on Monday morning. The grievance called the absent report system at 6.20 and then 40 minutes later sent a text message to employee Frazier. There were then texts back and forth until 7.25. Then there were a number of text messages between the grievance and his girlfriend from 7.34 until 7.53 when Tenholder called the grievance. The grievance testified that he and Tenholder would speak to each other many times a day. He admitted that he talked to Tenholder on Sunday night after he had received a voice message and a text about not reporting to work on Monday. He said that he and Tenholder both stated that they were going to report to work on Monday. The grievance testified the reason he did not report to work was because he was still sick on Monday. And then the Postal Service's argument and the union's argument are the same as the past one, and I'll read the arbitrator's decision. Among the most fundamental and universally recognized principles in labor relations is that employees can be expected to work now and grieve later. The principle normally arises in cases involving insubordination, though its application to a possible work stoppage should be obvious enough. In simple terms, if an employee feels that he or she has been wronged, the appropriate avenue of redress is through the contractual provisions established to address such issues, not through self-help. Unless there are issues of safety or unusual health hazards, a resort to self-help is prohibited. If It is perhaps for this reason that the parties included a statement of principle to the effect in Article 18 of the National Agreement. At the same time, however, an employee accused of serious misconduct enters arbitration presumed innocent and willing to perform a fair day's work for a fair day's pay. From an evidentiary standpoint, this means that in order for management to prevail here, it must overcome that presumption by presenting convincing proof that the grievance not only missed work on November 8th, which he admits, but that he did so in sympathy and concert with some co-workers, though he was not actually sick. The union argues management cannot meet this burden owing to the lack of physical evidence concerning grievance professed illness. This is not so. A profession of illness by an employee need not be accepted at face value, and indeed, local management here refused to accept the grievance's steadfast claim that he was sick, and yet the grievance failed to file a grievance over the refusal. The fact that management had the right to insist under these circumstances on some evidence of illness should be nothing to marvel at, for in the absence of some objective for the absence of some objective standard, employees could routinely fake an illness and remain off work with impunity, leaving management no opportunity to respond. On the current record, management seeks to rebut the grievance profession of illness with several pieces of circumstantial evidence. Management has the right to proceed in this manner just as the union would if it was so desired. The fact is that circumstantial evidence at times is more persuasive than direct evidence. By way of example, there are many cases where employees present a medical excuse but are later observed performing strenuous physical activities well in excess of their doctor's limitations and in which, when viewed objectively, permit a reasonable in inference that the symptomology described by the employee to the doctor in order to the procure the documentation was false. In such cases, a fact finder can rightly reject the employee's claim of illness and uphold discipline based on associated absenteeism and fraud. 
An analogous situation is present in the grievance case while he steadfastly maintained that he had been drinking on November 6th and 7th and that he was unable to come to work on November 8th. His activities on November 7th and 8th tell an entirely different story. Indeed, the story which emerges from the record shows the grievance in, conjunct in conjunction with some of his co-workers was engaged in a furious program of electronic and voice communication throughout the day on November 7th and early November 8th all calculated to launch a private job action. As management points out, the grievant had some 22 conversations with individuals between 4, 4 p.m., this along with several cell phone communications, all of which indicate that his energy level was in no way diminished by a hangover or the residual effects of intoxication. Rather, he was conducting his activities in what appears to be an abnormally active manner. The arbitrators persuaded that the grievance knew very well the plan which was afoot among his co-workers and he was more than willing to both support and participate in the same. Support for the above conclusion is seen in major inconsistency in the grievance testimony as to his girlfriend's whereabouts. Again, and as management points out, grievance phone records do not support a finding that the girlfriend was in physical proximity to the grievance during the time in question. <laughs> Moreover, Grievant failed to provide a reasonable alternative explanation in this regard. Even more telling, Grievant ultimately claimed that his girlfriend did not actually stay with him on Monday. All these inconsistencies did not bode well for the Grievant's credibility. In the arbitrator's opinion, management has convincingly shown that the Grievant was an active participant in the job action which occurred on November 8th. The source of the action was a legitimate collective concern about the safety of vehicles on the East St. Louis parking lot. However, the course of action undertaken by some of the employees had a severely deleterious effect on operations on November 8th. The concerted action directly violated their prohibition against work stoppage as found in the National Agreement, and it exhibited less than positive or favorable image of the Postal Service or its employees to the public. Nor does the arbitrator find that management's investigation took unreasonably long or that the grievance was prejudiced by any claimed due process violation. The investigation was lengthy and, through and thorough, but under these circumstances, the discipline was not untimely. There is no proof that the grievance was harmed by the length of time taken for the investigation nor the date of the discipline ruling. Based upon this record, the grievance must be denied as the Postal Service had just caused to issue the removal. So there's number two. There's number two that just got terminated for talking about a work stoppage. Just like that individual that came onto my page talking about in August of these dates were calling in sick. This is no different. This is no different. So if you're going to be that foolish, understand that shit you're doing is evidence. And people commenting on there about we agree is evidence. People talking about striking on any kind of social media platform. That is evidence against you. They subpoenaed phone records <laughs> and text messages. Could y'all imagine them getting some of y'all's text messages and things we say? You know, they subpoenaed those and got them against the carriers to, to build a case against them. So there's two carriers with a lot of tenure that because they decided they're going to call out one day in protest have lost their job. I've got two more I'm going to read 
I'm gonna, I'm not going to read all the the first part because they're all the same. It's all from the same station. All four of these are from the same station. Four different arbitrators, four different carriers. All four were terminated. And this is uh, David Diltz. Again, I'm not going to read the, the guts of it because it's all the same. The charges are the same. And, uh, and the position of the postal service and the position of the union are the same. Arbitrator's opinion. The parties in agreement on some of the facts of this case and the grievance was timely processed through the procedures outlined in Article 15 of the National Agreement and is therefore proper before this arbitrator. However, there are several disputed facts in this case. The factual disputes in this case focus on the grievance culpability alleged in the notice of removal. Therefore, it is the disputed facts upon which the merits of the case will be herein decided. The record in this case has two stipulations of fact. One, there were 15 letter carriers who did not report for work on November 8th, which had an adverse impact on East St. Louis postal operations. And two, there were carriers among the 15 absentees who were unaware of the planned work stoppage. These stipulations are consistent with the findings of fact of other arbitrators who issued decisions concerning disciplinary charges brought against other city letter carriers in East St. Louis who were charged with the misconduct arising out of the events of November 7th and 8th, 2010. There are several issues of dispute between the parties. The union claims that the grievant was ill and requested sick leave for November 8th. The union claims that the grievant provided medical documentation for November 8th. The Postal Service denies the union's claims. The Postal Service claims the grievant com communicated with other letter carriers on November 7th to initiate the job action which occurred on November 8th. The union claims that the agreement was not an active organizer of the job action of November 8th, 2010. Further, the Postal Service claims that the agreement lied to the OIG investigators about whether she owned a cell phone. The union also raises affirmative defenses on behalf of this agreement. Each of these issues will be examined and in turn in the following paragraphs of this award. Sick leave request. In this case, the grievance was absent on November 8, 2010. The union claims that the grievance was not an active organizer of the job action on November 8, 2010. However, the union contends that the grievance was ill and had legitimately sought sick leave, thereby not participating in the job action of November 8 in protest of car thefts from postal property. This record contains several Form 3971s and medical certificates. There is a computer-generated document pertaining to this grievance, which is a Form 3971 found on page 304 of Joint Exhibit 2. This Form 3971 is a request for eight hours of sick leave for November 8th. This document is unsigned by the grievance or her supervisor and has no indication of whether request leave was approved or disapproved. Early in the joint file is another Form 3971 filed out with handwriting. It says file. It should be filled out with handwriting and dated November 9th in which the grievant requested eight hours of sick leave. This document is signed by both the grievant and her supervisor and is marked disapproved. And the reason line contains the words, no doc provided, leave without pay. In examining this record, the arbitrator was unable to locate medical documentation for November 8th for this grievant. The union claims that medical documentation was provided on two separate occasions when it was requested by management. Yet there is nothing in this record save the claim that such documentation was obtained and provided to management. 
The union explains this absence of documentation as management's having lost the documents provided. The joint file is to contain all the evidence of record upon which the dispute resolution team and potentially an arbitrator is to base their decision. The formerly representatives are to ensure the completeness of the joint file and adverse inference must be made if a claim document is not found in the joint file. Evidence of planning of a job action for November 8, 2010. The grievant denied that she was involved in the planning of the job action on November 8, 2010. Her testimony at the arbitration hearing and the grievance initial interview she had with the agents of the Office of Inspector General were both unequivocal that she was not involved in the planning of the events of November 8th. The grievant had a second interview with an agent of the Office of Inspector General. She changed her story concerning possession of a cell phone in the second interview, admitted that she had one, but it was in some, someone else's name. Further, the memorandum of interview states, Dupree stated she talked to Mason at a table by the bowling lanes between 4 and 5 p.m. Dupree stated she and Mason were talking about all the cars being stolen and what they were going to do about security. Dupree explained the gate was supposed to be locked but was not. Dupree stated she was told Mason about employees parking outside the employee parking lot on Monday and waiting. Dupree described waiting as waiting for something to happen. Dupree related postal management would have to contact employees when no carriers were at work on Monday. Dupree stated Mason told her, no, y'all can't do that. That would be considered form of a strike. Postal people can't do that. Dupree explained that made sense to her and she did not look at it that way at first. Dupree stated it was Dupree's idea to have the employee park across the street on Monday. During the same interview, the grievant admitted to talking to other employees by telephone concerning whether they were going to work on Monday, November 8th. Among these employees were carriers Fraser, Frawley, and Tenholder. OIG agent Kleininger was called to testify at the hearing and testified that he was author of the memorandum of interview con- contained in the Joint Exhibit 2. Agent Kleininger gave testimony consistent with the evidence found on pages 49 and 50 of his memorandum of interview. City letter carrier Fraser was called to testify by management and gave testimony concerning the events of November 7th and 8th. His testimony was brief and was that the grievant asked him not to answer the phone on Monday, his regularly scheduled day off, should management call and ask him to come to work. This testimony is consistent with a memorandum of interview in Joint Exhibit 2. There are several other memorandum of interviews in the case file. Carrier Frawley gave a sworn statement in the sworn statement, Carrie Frawley said, in pertinent part, Bren called me and left a voicemail. I called her back. Could hear bowling pins in the background. Tracy called me a few times. Bren said later we're calling people to call in sick to protest car thefts. They were up to 10. Later on, I heard they were up to 24. They asked me if I had Carrie's numbers. I said I only had a few, but I did not give them any phone numbers. Bren said parking on the street would be a strike, and instead everyone should call in sick. Tracy just wanted everyone to park on the street. There were several other carriers who provided sworn statements in which they reported that the agreement was organizing a sick out for Monday, November 8th. Carrier Smith, carrier Tenholder, in a telephone interview with Agent Cloninger, is reported to have said Tenholder stated Dupree wanted a yes or no from him if he is going to call in sick or not. Carrier Klein provided a sworn statement to Agent Becker of the OIG, which in pertinent part said, I don't remember the exact wording of the but. It stated that Renee and Tracy wanted everyone to call in sick Monday.
Several other statements are found in this record. Most have little relevance to the specific charges against the grievant. There are also telephone records and copies of text messages included in this file which corroborate the testimony cited above. The telephone records show the conversation did take place as identified in the interviews conducted by the OIG agents. The record of evidence is persuasive that the grievant was actively involved in organizing the job action on Monday, November 8th. Affirmative defense raised by the union. The union left no stone unturned in the defense of this grievance. The union raised two significant affirmative defenses for this grievance. The union argued that the penalty assessed this grievance was not appropriate to alleged misconduct. The union also complained that the Postal Service's case was founded in circumstantial evidence and that such evidence is suspect in determining the innocence or guilt of this grievance. Although the union recognizes that circumstantial evidence is admissible, the union asserts that the circumstances must point inalterably to the guilt of the grievance for there to be a finding in favor of management. The union also complains that the discipline is untimely. Each of these defenses will be examined in turn in the following paragraphs of this opinion. Penalty. The union raised an important issue in the determination of the penalty in this case. The conduct of becoming a post employee is a broad charge inclusive of the abuse of sick leave and of being a leader of prohibited job action. The charge could even be interpreted, perhaps, to include abuse of sick leave, although this arbitrator did not infer this from the notice of removal in this case. In the case of abuse of sick leave, under these facts and circumstances, progressive discipline is contemplated by the authors of Article 16 of the National Agreement. Albeit this abuse of sick leaves goes beyond what is normally found in this category of cases because it involves prescribed concerted action that had a significant adverse effect on East St. Louis postal operations. If this was all that was in evidence, the arbitration award by Thomas Erbs concerning the matter, L. Walker is, in this arbitrator's opinion, instructive and appropriate under these circumstances and facts. However, the clear and convincing preponderance of evidence indicates that this grievance engaged in misconduct which extended beyond the simple abuse of sick leave. In cases such as this present matter, there will be employees out of 15 to 24 who will, be, who will not be contacted or, if contacted, will not provide incriminating information against a co-worker. In such matters, arbitrators must look to the consistency of testimony sworn statements, and foundations to determine the credibility of claims that the grievance engaged in conspiratorial actions to further initiate improper job actions such as occurred on November 8th. The OIG Memorandum of Interviews showed at least three credible statements that the grievance engaged in contact with co-workers which cons were conspiratorial in nature, which were clearly intended to broaden the job action on the subsequent Monday. From this evidence, the arbitrators persuaded that the Postal Service discharged its burden to prove that the grievance was engaged in conduct intended to cause an inappropriate work stoppage at each St. Louis post office. This conduct is a serious matter, which goes beyond simple abuse of sick leave to conduct designed to inflict operational harm on postal delivery in East St. Louis. Therefore, this arbitrator is persuaded that the awards of arbitrators Simon and Herbs in which discharges were sustained for those who led this job action, are instructive in this manner. Therefore, it is the arbitrator's considered opinion that the penalty assessed this grievance removal for this infraction is not excessive under these facts and circumstances. 
Conclusion. The Postal Service has shown with a clear and convincing preponderance of the credible evidence that the grievance is culpable as charged in the notice of removal. The union raised several affirmative defenses on behalf of this grievance, each without merit. Therefore, this arbitrator has no alternative save to deny this grievance in its entirety and being with, without merit. Here's the last one. This is 404. 404 that went there just because they called in sick on a day to protest. All four of them have lost their jobs. This is uh, Arbitrator Cohen. It's the same stuff in the, in the beginning. And here's the discussion and decision on this one. The issue in this case is where the grievance was involved in the concerted job action at the East St. Louis Post Office on November 8, 2010. The issue is not whether the concerted job action was the grievance idea or specifically whether she personally requested employees to participate in the slowdown. If the grievance had prior knowledge of the job action and called in sick, then the reasonable presumption is that she was involved in the job action. The grievance did not establish that she was incapacitated on Monday, November 8th. When the grievance returned to work on Wednesday, November 10th, she was told she must provide medical documentation for her absence. On November 9th, the grievance had already been told by the other employees management was requesting medical documentation from all employees that called off on Monday, November 8th. This request was reasonable under the circumstances of the work slowdown. The service has the right to request medical documentation to protect the best interests of the service. The grievance waited until March 23rd, the following year, to request medical documentation from a doctor. Logically and professionally, it was understandably too late for a medical professional to determine whether the grievance had been incapacitated four to five months earlier. If the grievance had immediately made an attempt to obtain medical documentation, Regardless of whether a grievance was pending over the designation of her time off on November 8th, her claim that she was incapacitated would be more believable. In light of unfolding circumstances at the station after November 8th and the fact that the grievance did not attempt to excuse her absence for several months raises a fair inference that she was not sick. Moreover, the grievance participated in hours of phone calls on November 8th, which is not indicative of someone who is too sick to report to work. On November 7th, letter carrier Dupree and the grievance admitted while at the bowling alley, the two talked about Frawley's stolen truck and Dupree's preferred concerted action of parking across the street from the post office on November 8th. After this talk between Dupree and the grievance, the grievance called Frawley from the bowling alley to talk about his truck being stolen on Saturday, November 6th. During the conversation, the grievance told Frawley that letter Dupree's parking on the street was not a good idea, but if you are sick, you're sick. Obviously, Frawley was not too inebriated to participate in this conversation with the grievance. Shortly after speaking with the grievance, Dupree called letter carrier Frawley to request phone numbers of co-workers. Soon thereafter, letter carrier Frawley sent a text to letter carrier Fraser indicating the grievance and Dupree wanted employees to call off on Monday. Based upon his conversation with the grievance and Dupree, his text was plausible and not merely the illusion of a drunk man. The evidence establishes that Dupree then called numerous letter carriers to request they call off work on Monday. In the evening of June 7th, Fraser called the grievance to find out if she knew about the text. The grievance told him no, but took no steps to stop or invalidate the text if she deemed it to be incorrect. To the contrary, the grievance told Fraser, if you're sick, you're sick. The next morning, November 8th, the grievance told Fraser, who had called off sick, that she would keep him informed of what was going on at the post office. 
Both Letter Carrier Dupree and Letter Carrier Robinson stated that the agreement used this same phrase, if you're sick, you're sick, when talking to them about calling off on Monday, November 8th. Although Robinson changed her story, her testimony was found credible based upon her growing anger at her friend for not taking any responsibility for the work slowdown and carriers losing their jobs. Frazier's testimony is supported by statement from other employees, including the grievant. Unlike the grievant, Frazier did report to work on Monday, November 8th, and was not in the position of union authority to effectively encourage employees to call off work on Monday. In this case, a one-hour discrepancy regarding when a phone call took place is insignificant, especially when the discrepancy arose several months after the occurrence and the sequence of events logically flows. The grievance also told letter carrier Davis that the service could not prove whether she was sick. Consequently, even after November 8th, the grievance continued to be involved with the work slowdown by counseling union members how to avoid discipline for their participation in the concerted action. The grievance telephone records established that she was in steady contact with approximately 19 union members from Sunday evening through Tuesday, November 9th. Based upon the volume of calls between the grievance and the union members during these three critical days, the grievance undocumented absence on November 8th, employee statements about their conversations with the grievance, and the logical sequence of events, it is reasonable to conclude that the grievance was involved with the work slowdown planned for November 8th. From almost circumstantially evidenced by her phone records and substantiated conversation with letter carriers on the day of the concerted action. As a local union president, the grievance did not contact the post office on November 8 to voice her concern about the situation or to offer her assistance since instructing union members to report to work. The grievance discipline was timely. In a responsible and professional manner, the OIG interviewed all possible participants, approximately 40, in the concerted action before management issued any discipline. Because of the volume of interviews and the eventual necessity for subpoenaing numerous telephone records, the OIG report was delayed, but not unreasonably under the circumstances. The concerted action directly violated the National Grid's prohibition against work stoppage. The JCAM states that on page 18.1, that's under section 18.2 of the National Agreement, the union or its local unions, whether branches or by other names, will take reasonable action to avoid such activity, and where such activity occurs, immediately inform striking employees they are in violation of this agreement and order said employees back to work. The agreement, as the local union president, did tell employees that could not strike by parking across from the station, but then told employees that if you were sick, they were sick. Consequently, the agreement not only failed to take steps to stop a slowdown as required under Article 18.1 of the National Agreement, she actively encouraged and participated in it and was actively involved with it in November 8, 2010. For all the reasons discussed above, the grievance is denied. The Postal Service had just caused to issue the grievance a notice of removal for involvement with the November 8th work stoppage slowdown at the East St. Louis Post Office. That was a lot of reading. Sorry. But I want to show you the importance of that. Uh, I just read another thing on on Facebook where somebody says, hey, uh, do y'all believe in striking or not? Listen, don't get engaged in that type of conversation. Don't get engaged with somebody talking about striking. Don't engage, engage with somebody talking about calling a sick. 
Do not get engaged with that. Anything that you put on social media, like I said, is evidence. It can be copied off and used against you. Even if you're calling for a strike, even if you're saying, man, I wish we would strike. I would not put myself in that position. Uh, I just read four very long decisions to you to show you the links that what management will go to, to show that you're responsible. Subpoenaing phone records. What did the carriers do? All of them turned on each other. Friends, they said, we've been friends turning on each other. Why? Because your job is in jeopardy. When your job's in jeopardy, people start snitching on each other, right? The OIG gets involved. Those are federal agents. They can subpoena your phone records. They can subpoena your Facebook records. Uh, Hell, they can just get on Facebook and see it. Do not entertain anybody on social media talking about striking. First off, if you don't know who they are, they could be management trying to bait you into something. Uh, But don't get involved with that talk. I wouldn't even say, don't strike. I would just ignore that post. (laughs) If they're talking about anything striking, scroll past that. Don't entertain it. All right? Don't say, yeah, we should do that. But you know, you can't. Do not entertain any talk of strike or work stoppage. You will be terminated. Okay? Understand that. I just read four decisions from the same post office. Four different arbitrators removed four different carriers for calling in sick on one day because of a concerted effort on a work stoppage. So that, that's two hours. <laughs> two hours. I thought it would take 45 minutes. I read too much, though, but to me it was worth it to let y'all know the importance of it. Great arguments made by the union. Great arguments made by the union, and every arbitrator said it. Y'all brought in great arguments. Everybody's fired. So don't put yourself in that position, okay? We got collective bargaining going on. People are upset. UPS kicking the shit out of us as far as wages. Everybody wants the same thing. The one thing you cannot do is entertain any talk of a strike or a work stoppage. Never, ever, ever entertain that talk. You will be terminated, okay? Understand that. All right, that's all I got for this week. Uh, i got to get back on this removal. Uh, I plan on doing this about 45 minutes or an hour, but damn it, it's two hours. Anyway, um, I'll let you all know how the informal meeting goes next Sunday. We're going to talk about discipline. Then JB's probably going to come in and talk about sick leave dependent care. Get on Reddit. Answer that. Uh, it's got a little survey about what you think I should talk about. I've got so many topics, so it'll take me two years to get, get to all of them. Um, I'll get to your emails. I promise you that. Like I said, I just found about 100 sitting in my spam on Titan. So I'll get to them. I promise you. Um, shirts. Go buy shirts. Now, even if you don't want one, buy one because all that money's going to go to MDA and we're doing really, really well. Uh, I'm shocked at how well those shirts are selling. Uh, so get on there and get you some, okay? I love each and every one of you. I do. And uh, y'all take care of yourself. It's hot out there. Make sure you're doing everything humanly possible to take care of yourself, all right? And I'll talk to you next Sunday, all right? Bye.